Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. I'm Laurie. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm very privileged to be speaking at this meeting. Um, I joined OA February the 11th of 1986. Uh, I've been absent since approximately May the 1st of uh, 1993. Uh, the seven years that, uh, uh, so that's, it'll be my 30th uh, uh, anniversary at around May the 1st. I don't know the exact uh, date, but around there. Um, the seven years of relapse taught me a great deal about what the 12 steps are all about. Uh, when I first joined, I had a wonderful sponsor who, who had been in AA as well as OA and who really worked hard on helping me get a spiritual connection, uh, which was not that easy for me because I have been and continue to be an agnostic atheist or agnostical atheist or atheistical agnostic. And it was sometimes very difficult for me to sort of accept the language that is used in the big book, which is the primary source we had back in the uh, 80s uh, and, and in our own uh, literature as, as it came out as well. Uh, and in the meetings, you know, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the main thing that my dear sponsor got wrong, with all due respect, was that he thought that his eating problem and my eating problem were going to be the same and that I should adopt his uh, plan of eating. Uh, and his plan of eating was really simple. He had what he would, I don't know what he would call it, but it was a, a binge eating problem. He just ate over, uh, too much. He was addicted to eating in volume, at a volume issue. And uh, his prescription for me was that I diet, lose my weight, work the steps, and by the time I finished step nine, I would no longer want to eat in high in large quantities. And this fit in, of course, with every other diet I'd ever been on that told me once I lost my weight, I could eat everything in moderation. So over those seven years, I did that. I lost the weight, went on diets, lost the weight. And they were good diets. They were healthy diets. I wasn't crazy. And I would work the steps and I'd feel great. And then I would say, well, now I can have a little bit of ice cream or I can have a, you know, a, a, one cookie. I could have one, uh, you know, one thing of chips uh, or something like that, or uh, you guys call them French fries, uh, French fries or something like that. And just a little bit of that, in retrospect, I can see now caused me uncontrollable cravings. Uh, I was caught up short uh, after coasting for seven years in this fellowship by an OA member, the shyest woman in the room, who intervened with me. No one else would intervene. They would ask me how I was, and I'd say, fine. They'd say, great. I was gaining weight. I was talking with abandon about all that I had learned about the steps. Um, I was walking, I was talking the talk, but, you know, not walking the walk. But she came up to me, and she said, how are you? I said, fine. And she looked me in the eye. She came close to my face. She said, I mean, really? And she had the compassion and the love and the honesty for me, with all due respect to the people in the room, that no one else had. You know, she she told me later she prayed for two or three weeks before she did that. 
But, you know, one of my mentors in, in this fellowship uh, once said to me, uh, saying that he had heard, um, honesty without compassion is cruel, but compassion without honesty can kill. And that was happening to me. I was being enabled um, by people who didn't, who, who I guess felt intimidated by me or something, but who didn't want to really challenge me. Once she challenged me, and once I, I, I began to get on track, I then began to study the real issues that I had to deal with and the mistakes that I made. And the first mistake I made and that I finally accepted uh, was from the doctor's opinion and from what is now pages two and three and four of our OA 12 and 12. And in, found in the uh, originally the Dignity of Choice pamphlet and now a, a new plan of eating. The concept that, that I had to examine for myself and not take from anyone else, but for myself, what is it that causes me uncontrollable cravings and the eating that I did? And I realized over a period of time that there were certain foods I had to eliminate, that they caused me compulsive cravings, uh, that there were certain behaviors I had to eliminate. And I began to understand that our fellowship is an umbrella fellowship. We encompass people from one end of a spectrum to another of eating problems. And some of us have just an eating behavior problem, like my sponsor, who was an overeater. He just ate anything in great volume, which is one of my problems. Um, and just like Gamblers Anonymous or Debtors Anonymous, people who engage in activities or behaviors that ultimately they become addicted to, all the way over to single substances like Alcoholics Anonymous, Crystal Meth Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, people who are addicted to specific substances. I found I had specific substances I was uh, addicted to as well, that once I started eating those substances, I couldn't stop. And I also found that there were mixtures of ingredients that caused me problems. You know, for me, it wasn't sugar. It was fat and sugar. For me, it wasn't salt. It was fat and salt. Fat was a huge issue for me. And once I eliminated all those things and I worked the 12 steps to the best of my ability, I had this incredible miracle. And that incredible miracle was that I no longer wanted to return to any of the behaviors and any of the foods and any of the ingredients that I that caused me cravings. And I finally understood, and it took me a while, that the that what the steps do is allow me to accept the quasi-physical aspect, the, 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 the aspect of the addiction, the aspect of the cravings, the aspect of once I start, I can't stop. They, ha- they helped me, A, to accept that, and B, to get the sanity not to be tempted to return, because that was my real problem. It was all the reasons I gave to myself for returning to the things that I knew innately, I knew would cause me these uncontrollable cravings. Uh, I mean, number one among them was all the diets I was on that told me I could. I could have a little bit of everything. Uh, But beyond that were all the other excuses that I used to use, uh, ranging from the most deeply emotional feelings that overwhelm me and saying, well, what will solve these feeling problems? Food, the particular foods that gave me momentary, you know, and, and I'm talking about momentary relief or release, um, to uh, reasons like uh, they made it for me or I'm standing up so it doesn't count 
or I exercised for five minutes, so that's got to be worth something, or I didn't eat it, you know, a year ago, a week ago, I didn't eat it five day, five minutes ago, so I can have something else now, you know, and, and all these reasons, ranging from deeply emotional to stupid, um, were reasons that the 12 steps eliminated. I no longer have those reasons. I look at the foods now, it's been, well, almost 30 years that I haven't had butter. Because for me, butter is a tremendous trigger. And in those 30 years, after I worked the, nine, the, the, the 12 steps, really step nine gave me this release, was this sense of, well, why would I eat anything that is going to cause me to return to the addict that I was? And that sanity overpowered the mind that I used to have, which was, well, find a reason, quickly find a reason to have that. Oh, you're feeling bad. That's good. That's a good reason. Or you're feeling good. That's a good reason. Or, you know, uh, no one pays any attention to. Good reason. Uh, or it's free range cattle, fa- you know, the, in, in, it's a free range butter made with golden hay in the, in the, in the, in the summer sun or so. I don't know why. Um, you know, oh, well, it's organic. It's got to be good. You know, whatever those reasons were, I no longer have them. And what the steps did for me, uh, and I, I worked the steps the big book way, but I, I believe that, you know, I know many of my mentors in OA don't work the steps the big book way. They use another way. But I believe this common sense notion that Bill uh, got from Ebby, which was you get honest with yourself, step four. You get honest with another human being, step five. Uh, you make up for the wrongs that you've done. And that's been modified into you make up for the wrongs that you've done without harming the person you're making up um, uh, up to or without harming anyone else. A very good qualification. Um, you you look for guidance from your higher power and you help people without hope of reward, property or prestige. That's the essence of of our uh, 12 steps. And I don't I don't care how you do it. Uh, you know, some ways may be more efficient in my mind than others, but I don't care how you do it. But it's that simple. And it's the lack of you you abstain and then you work these very simple steps. You know, honest with yourself, with another human being, make up for the wrongs that you've done, uh, help others without hope of property, prestige and reward, and continue to focus now having had some form of spiritual connection with some kind of higher power, focus on that connection and and seek guidance from your connection with that higher power. For me, uh, there were two things uh, that uh, I, I, I want to focus on. Uh, one was my problem with the higher power, because the meetings I went to all had people of a particular faith, a particular religion, uh, variants within them, but a particular religion, uh, who had a God who did things for them. You know, including finding them parking spots if they were late for a meeting. And I am a third generation atheistical agnostic, agnostical atheist. Uh, I, I use those words because although I do not believe in any deity, I know I can't prove that there's no deity. So I can't say that there isn't one. I just don't believe in one. Um, so I'm in between the atheistical and the agnostical because I, 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 I but at any rate, I'm a third generation. My grandparents resisted the Orthodox Jewish uh, culture, uh, the religion of, of their parents. And I grew up in this family of people who never believed. We knew a lot about our religion, but uh, we never practiced it. 
Um, and I study philosophy and I know the the proofs of, uh, uh, of God's existence and the proofs of God's non-existence. Don't get me started on that. So I come in and my first sponsor gave me the best advice I could ever have. He said, I said, I can't believe in, in this kind of God. I keep hearing this kind of God in the meetings. He said, well, is there anything more important than you are? Well, it took me one or two days to figure out that there were at least four things generally expressed that were more important than I am. Truth, love, justice, beauty. Justice has a special meaning for me, but it doesn't matter what that is. And I went back to my sponsor and said, that's, that's more important than I am. If, you know, my life on earth is limited, I would like to live according to those things. He said, that's your God. He said, it doesn't find me parking spots. He says, that's your God. And I began to realize that, and as I studied the big book, especially the chapter of agnostics, the real problem is not that we don't believe in something. We all believe in deep human values, some of which, some of who uh, of us identify those deep values as being a deity beyond you know, who has personality and, and is able to do things. It doesn't really matter, but we all believe in something that's deep and universal and um and that uh, really informs our life. And that belief is our problem because we are disconnected. I know I have five minutes left. Uh, that that belief is disconnected from how we are living. When we're living in our addiction, we are disconnected from what we believe in, whether it's a specific kind of God or, or just values. And it's as if we have a blockage in the flow from our heart where our deep beliefs are, the flow of a pipeline to our head where we think and act. And the blockage, the big book talks about this quite a bit, a blockage or blocking us from the sunlight and the spirit, things of that sort. That blockage is what the 12 steps get rid of. It, it, uh, they, they get rid of the blockage so that how we, what we deeply believe in wells up into our minds and we act and think according to what we believe in. That was very important for me to understand. And that's why it's so important for me to keep my connection with what I deeply believe in. And instead of getting direction from God as sort of pushing me from behind, like from scriptures or, or people who interpret the scriptures, I'm being pulled in the direction of true north, truth, love, justice, and beauty. And it doesn't matter, but one way or another, instead of when I was living in my addiction, I was going 180 degrees I was going backwards from the direction I wanted to go in. And now I'm going five degrees one way, five degrees another way. I'm sort of meandering towards, because I'm not perfect. God knows I'm not perfect. I'm meandering towards truth, love, justice, beauty. That's the first thing I learned. And the second thing I learned was uh, I have 922. Uh, don't I have more time than that? Yeah, I give you a five-minute warning. You end at nine thirty, so you're fine. Oh, you're giving me oh that. So that thing is the five-minute warning. I see that. that I, You've got another eight minutes. Yep. Another eight minutes. Okay. The other thing I learned was uh, for that seven years was that step ten is different from step eleven. There are evening meditations, and those evening meditations deal with the day, the the day that is past, the day that is to come. 
They deal with this concept of living day to day, keeping in mind your connection with your higher power and reminding yourself as often as you need to uh, by reviewing the day that you had that just passed and looking forward to the day that's about to come and living during the day. Continue to focus on your connection to see whether any of the defects of character that have blocked you from your your deepest values um, have come back. So that's a daily kind of practice. Um, but step 10, I used to read as it's written. Step 10 says, when we were wrong, promptly admit it. And so when I yelled at my children for spilling milk, I apologized to them and I thought that was my step 10. And what I did not realize was that step 10, at least as it's written in the big book, really is about doing what we did in steps four through nine as often as we need to, and literally doing what we did in steps four through nine, writing it out, uh, working out what our defects of character are, uh, getting honest with another human being, literally talking to them, making up for the wrongs that we've done, really doing an in-depth analysis of where we are at this moment. And I wasn't doing that. When I, when I look back, what was going on in my family, especially my wife's family, were really difficult things. My my wife's whole family was dying and she was taking care of them. And it was very emotional. I loved them very much. She loved them very much. Um, it was a really hard, hard time. Well, I couldn't yell at my wife. I couldn't yell at her family. Uh, I yelled at my kids. And without really doing what I had done in step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine originally, all the defects of character. I don't want this to happen. All my self-will came back. I don't want these people to suffer. I don't want my children to suffer. Oh, and I don't want that milk to be spilled either. You know, all these defects of characters were coming back. So if I have done what I now call a step 10, which is literally steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, done in the context of recovery, I would have caught those things. And who knows what else was going on in my work life or in the world around me that was bothering me at the same time as the personal things that were bothering me. But instead, I thought, well, I yelled at my kids, I should apologize to them. So now I do a step 10 a lot. Uh, sometimes I, once a year, sometimes once every six months, and sometimes once a week, depending upon what's going on in the world and depending on how I'm doing spiritually. Um, and that has saved me for the last 30 years. You know, I, I, any question, any decision I have, which is for me a resentment of things I worry about, I do step uh, 10 on them. Should I make this decision? Well, if I think about that in relation to my defects of character, I now have five minutes. I see that now. Thank you. Um, I, I, uh, I'm able to figure out where are my, any of my defects of character showing up in my decision as to whether or not I do this or that. And I'm we're able to eliminate those defects of character and focus only on, is this in accordance with my deep spiritual beliefs? Am I living according to, is this a good decision? And sometimes I come to the conclusion, I'm happy with the status quo. And sometimes I come to the conclusion, I must change it. It depends. I've had issues relating to um, worrying about the fate of my grandchildren. That, that has allowed me to figure out using the fear concept of what my higher power would have me be, that I, fear paralyzed me from giving my grandchildren uh, what they needed because I would look at them and just sort of feel teary-eyed and sad 
And in fact, what they needed from me was as much love and compassion and sense of resilience and creativity uh, that I could give them. And so I have a new purpose in life uh, because every time I work through using a step 10, I, I work through the issues that are going on in my life. I have a different reaction to it. I don't, I haven't made sort of direct amends much other than to my wife because we're together a lot. Uh, so I apologize to her more often than I'd like to. Um, but, uh, no, more often than I wish I didn't have to, if you know what I mean. Like I, I, I should apologize to her for the things I do, but I wish I didn't have to do the things I apologize for. But all in all, um, my life has become one of, of service. Uh, first of reflection, step 10, clean house, continue to clean house, a series of meditations, trust God, and a series of actions in which I find a usefulness of, and a purpose in life, not only related to carrying the messages you've given me the opportunity to do today, but also in life itself. And these steps have given me a sense of, of serenity, generally speaking, and I know what to do if I don't have that sense of serenity for, for the last 30 years. And I, I'm so grateful for that. It's just a, this, this ability to, to, to help other people carry the message to remind myself of how awful it used to be. Because if I don't carry the message, I won't remember how bad it used to be. It's been 30 years since I felt these cravings. It's been 30 years since I felt the anguish of not living according to what I believe in, knowing that I wasn't living according to what I believed in, and yet unable to get out of that. And to remind myself by telling my story, to remind myself of what it used to be like is, is, a, is a great privilege. Um, what I have also seen and what I want to say to those who have suffered greatly in their lives, because I, I have not, is that what I have seen for people who have suffered greatly in their lives is the is the promise fulfilled that our dark past can become our greatest possession. My friends who have been harmed terribly and traumatized in their lives can now say to other people in a way I cannot. You think you've you've had it hard? Let me tell you my story, and I don't eat over it, and I have usefulness to it. And so their horrible experiences can be transformed into something of great use to other people. As horrible as it is, as much as they shouldn't have experienced them, they can at least transform that into something that can help people in ways I can never help them. And so I just want to thank you for the opportunity of sharing and uh, questions anyone might have, but I'm happy to answer any. Hi, thank you, Laurie, so much for your share. Can you share with us what your um, daily practice looks like? And also, we share, well, we answer questions till 950. 950, yes. Uh, uh, well, my daily practice is, uh, my daily practice, I do a lot of OA work. I, I do a lot of sponsoring and uh, uh, writing. Um, but basically, at night, I review the day that has just passed, and that sometimes can take a minute or two. Because my I'm retired, so my my day is not particularly uh, uh, full of conflict um, or difficulties. Um, in the morning, I think about what my day is going to be like. Uh, there are the prayers that are normally said, and I usually say them. If not, I subconsciously say them. But I and then during the day, and I haven't had to do this very much. But during the day, if I agitated or doubtful, I say, "Thy will not mind be done," or I'm no longer writing the show. I 
It's not been necessary for me to do that for quite some time. It's a very simple thing. I, I do the minimum. Uh, you know, I I, I, uh, I, I practice what, what I call, uh, um, what's the term? Not the okay, uh, uh, a good program, not the best program. I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a perfect person. So I, that's my daily practice. It's very boring. Thank you. Next is iPhone Terra F. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm injured right now and um, I have to eat less food. I was wondering if you, that ever happened to you. Did you, were you immobile for a while and couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't, uh, you had to cut down no. your food intake or anything? No. Well, I certainly, I certainly had to cut down my food intake because I was pretty obese, but uh, I was never at the point that I, I couldn't walk or talk or, or move around. No, I, I've never been in that position. Um, so I, I wish I could help you more in that respect. I know people who have been. I mean, I this program is full of people who absolutely I'm in awe of because of what they've been able to accomplish and where they started from. But I, I was lucky. I got into this uh, program because an AA friend of mine who had been a, literally a gutter drunk told me that I had the right to take my eating as seriously as he took his drinking. and I. I did that. I, you know, I was between 70 and 90 pounds overweight. Um, I know I was on my way to being 150 to 200 pounds overweight, but it didn't happen because I, I, I accepted that I, I could be, even though my, my addiction was not a dramatic addiction as his was, um, it was killing me and he allowed me to treat it seriously. Wish I could help you better. Uh, Maria, he, you're muted. You're muted. Maria, you're muted. Now, hi, Maria. Hi. Um, on a day-to-day like basis, how do you, if a situation arises where you feel angry or like any emotion like that, how do you handle it right then and there? Well, right then and there, and I, I, it's, it has occurred to me occasionally, not about my life, but about what's going on in this world. Um, I will say things like, I'm no longer running the show. I'm no longer running the show. And sometimes I repeat it angrily. I'm no longer running the show. I'm no longer running the show. And then I said, okay, I'm no longer running the show, you know, or I will not mind be done. I will not mind be done. I will not mind be done. And all I, all I have to do is remember, I have, control over my reaction to life and I have control over how I think and act only if I live according to truth, love, justice, and beauty, my, my personal deep God. And so I just have to bring myself back to, so what would a person who speaks truth, speaks with love, tries to emulate beauty or give beauty to this world and, um, and, uh, uh, you know, feels this sense of, uh, justice about the world how would that person think and act that's all i do it's 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 simple now if it builds up over time and i'm feeling this over and over again you know because life goes on and there are some terrible things going on in this world no matter what end of the spectrum you're at um then i do a step 10 on that and i have done the step 10 and all kinds of issues going on in this world developed a sense of compassion for the actors uh, in that who i think are are doing bad things 
and worked out what my own role is in this and where my defects of character help. Okay, thank you. Uh, Vincent? Hi, thank you so much for your share. Um, from your agnostic perspective, how do you deal with the certainty that God will take care of you and um, that effectively, how do you surrender to that? I surrender to the notion that living better, living according to truth, love, justice, and beauty is the best thing I can do. And that's about it. I, I've never had a white light experience. I have the educational variety of spiritual awakening. And I just know that whatever happens, I have to be as useful as I can. And that I can trust that living according to my deepest values and living and being able to intuit the actions that I should take because my connection with what I deeply believe in is 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 open. The pipeline is open. That that's the best that can happen. That doesn't mean good things will occur. I will not be taken care of by anything, but whatever I do will be the best that can happen. And uh, you know, uh, you can get all kinds of there are all kinds of theological interesting arguments and discussions about that, but that's the best. I am taken care of if I focus on truth, love, justice, and beauty in the sense that I will feel as if I'm making a, I, I, as if I'm leaving a legacy of what I deeply believe in. I wish I, I wish I had a better sense of that. I wish I felt that there, there was a cradle, a hand, that I was in the cradle of a hand, a big hand, you know, but I, I don't believe that. I don't have that sense. And so that's how I do it. Okay. Thanks. Uh, Carol. Hi, Laurie. Thank you uh, so much for your share. Um, you sort of touched on in and around my question, but you you mentioned that you uh, need to make amends to your wife more often than you would like, like you <laughs> wish you didn't behave in a manner that required that. And yeah. so um, I wanted to ask, like, when you when you let yourself down in that way where you're like, dang, I misbehaved. I gotta, I gotta say sorry again. Like, how do you let that go? And and where is that line between not beating yourself up and obsessing in your bad behavior, but also not sort of like, well, I'll just make it amends. It's fine. I can do whatever I want. So where's that line and how do you find it? And how do you deal with if you're frustrated with yourself or disappointed in yourself? Thank you. Well, I consider it th that's a great question, and I, you know, it causes me to think about how I do that because I do do that, but I don't really. I, I mean, one one thing this program has given me is the ability to become a different person, a better person than I was before, and that's a gift that very few people in this world get, other than addicts who practice a twelve step uh, program, or people who have some sudden spiritual insights or experiences separate from that. Most people stay in the rut of being who they are and doing what they do and um, uh, rationalizing the actions that they take to their own advantage uh, or just not being able to get out of who they are. We have the ability to transform ourselves through the 12 steps, to figuring out where we've been at fault, uh, uh, to sharing that, to make sure that we're that we're right and then to change. And so my relationship with my wife is one that has deepened and gotten better over the years. Uh, but also familiarity uh, allows a looser tongue than I would have with other people. So 
the the fact that we've been together for so long allows me to say things that, but in retrospect, I I should have said. So I don't feel, you know, I don't. I'm not going to feel guilty. I everything is a learning experience. Everything is a way in which I can become a better person for the next day. And I sort of, I, although I don't want to be reminded that I'm imperfect, I accept that I'm imperfect. And and uh, and I, I'm not going to I'm not going to kill myself over that. That that sense of guilt should disappear as I work the steps and figure out, okay, what can, what can I do to become a better person? I mean, there are people who have committed murder who have found a spiritual awakening through the twelve steps. They have tried to become different people. Uh, people who are not the person who did the murder. And they have every right to be treated as different people from the perspective of the 12 steps, um, if they've had a spiritual awakening. This ability to transform is the greatest gift that we, that we in our 12 step fellowship have been given. All the hurt and trauma that we have experienced, not I, but that others in this program have experienced, become ways of, of becoming incredibly powerful and deep uh, people uh, who have had experiences that have not killed them, but that they've been able to build on and to make use of to help others. Um, so I I can only say that that's what I do. I keep reminding myself of the opportunities that the 12-step give me rather than the deficits that I see in myself. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I learned from step four through nine, and that's what I continue to practice in steps uh, 10, 11, and 12. Because I live in 10, 11, and 12. I don't go back and repeat the steps. That was another mistake I made. I'm in 10, 11, 12. I continue to clean house, trust God, help others. Um, thanks, Laurie, for a great share. The um, Could you talk a little bit more about what you said about your 10th step and sort of keeping uh, keeping everything clean on a daily basis? Because you said something about you, you apologize, and that maybe wasn't enough. And uh, maybe you could elaborate about that. Oh, I I love to elaborate because I think this. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Because I this is an area that I think, well, I know created uh, uh, part of my relapses over seven years. This misunderstanding, or I don't want to call it misunderstanding. This. Let me put it this way. Step. Four through nine, steps four through nine, taught us how to clean up our past, taught us how to look at our defects of character, identify them, figure out whether and how they've harmed people, and make up as much as possible without hurting others, make up for the harm that we've done as a result of our defects of character. Um, from the moment we start, we finish our step nine and we're, we're granted this incredible, you know, spiritual awakening of neutrality around food. A new past begins. You know, from the moment I make amends, a new past begins. The same people in my life may repeat the same things that bothered me and that I reacted to, but it's a new past of, of new annoyances or new anger or new guilt or whatever is going on. Things happen in the world. We live, we live in a world that's sort of like a very noisy factory where when you work in it, you don't notice how noisy it is. But if you get a chance to step out from it, you realize there's something going on at work that is really, you know, causing me issues. So for me, the difference between a step 11 and a step 10 is step 11 deals only with the day. How did I do today? And what can I do better tomorrow? 
And it's a day-to-day guide to living. Step 10 is what's going on in my life and what is really troubling me and what fears do I have and what are my relationships with people that are screwed up and how can I make them better? And that means doing literally what I did in steps four through nine. So, you know, just as an example, my my mother in the last four years of her life had a stroke, uh, couldn't speak more than three or four words, and she, and was in a wheelchair. And she was very frustrated and upset about what had happened to her because she was such a an outgoing, vivacious kind of person. Every night, I would say, did I give the love that my parents required? You know, every night I would say, did I do what I needed to do for them, uh, whether see them in person or talk to them or whatever? I, and I and the, the next day I would think about how to help them. But every week I would do a step 10. I would write out as a resentment, my mother, my father, their relationship, our kids, uh, uh, you know, our my wife, our, you know, all the things that were going on. I would I would figure out things that I would never have seen on a day to day practice. Um, I would I would figure out that um, uh, I was worried that my father would die before my mother uh, and that I would have to take care of my mother's physical needs, which I didn't want to do, you know, and and I would uh, resent. I wanted my mother back. You know, I, I wanted my old mother back. all these feelings that I would never have looked at in a day to day basis. And then I'd work through what amends do I owe? Acceptance, love, you know, um, and I'd renew my my feelings for them because every week they would begin to wane a bit, right? Um, but now I I haven't done a step 10. It's probably time. It might be time for me to do a step 10. I'm not sure yet. But generally speaking, I'm living my life fine. Things are going well. Um, and I'm accepting what's going on in this world in a way that's working well. So I don't have to do a step 10. But there was a time when I was unhappy with the work I was doing before I retired, and I had to make a decision, should I change uh, my whole course of my career? And I put that down as a step four resentment. Should I do that? And I worked that through. And over a period of four or five years, I went from accepting that the work I was doing was was okay and just being happy again in the work instead of being dissatisfied with it uh, to changing my career over a period of time by using step 10 as a decision-making thing as a decision-making method. So for me, step 10 is literally what I did in steps four through five, but now done by a professional rather than an amateur. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm now a person who has learned how to use this for any purpose whatsoever. And so I use it in relationships. I use it in, um, in, in work. I use it in planning. I, I use it in all kinds of ways. That's very different from step 10. Uh, step 11, I should say, which is a daily thing. Does that have, does that answer the question? Good. Thank you.